I know I'm, I'm in a different place than I normally, I normal, I, I normally stand, but I, I, I want to make a, a few important points this morning, and I think sometimes when you change your position, there's a way to um, listen a, a little bit differently, so that's my hope. I, I should say from the get-go, uh, the church, the so-called bride of Christ, leaves her preachers with a very difficult decision to make this morning. This choice of, do I follow out and preach about this storyline that is emerging from Job, that is echoed in the, in the lament of the psalmist that is familiar and startling and heavy, or do I abandon that and pick up with Mark's Jesus where Mark's Jesus has left us each week here in week in and week out. And the decision that I have made is to, for at least one more week, to stick with Mark's Jesus and to um, try to make sense of these serial stories that we're getting. But rumor has it, um, Brian is going to pick up the Job story for us next week. It's such a wonderful and rich story. It's a difficult decision to make. I talk about Mark's Jesus, Mark's Jesus' lessons being serial lessons, and I think that's important for us to have some sense of how the story hangs together week in and week out. It's similar to those old Saturday afternoon cartoons way back in the way back when things were black and white and maybe with no sound at the end of the movie every Saturday afternoon we would have something like the Lone Ranger tied to the railroad tracks and the train coming down the tracks maybe some of you remember that I don't remember that in my real experience as a childhood I came to that a little late but I know of the, the communication or the rhetorical modality that uh, Hollywood was trying to create, bringing us back to the story week in and week out. And Mark's Jesus does the same thing, but we don't exactly hear it that way. So I'm going to take us back a few weeks where this all got started back in chapter 8 or chapter 9. This movement, these lessons that are attached to these real human questions begin with this episode of the transfiguration. Jesus and his executive suite travel up to a top of a mountain where they encounter these characters from the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus is transfigured. As they come down the mountain, Jesus warns them, don't tell anyone about this. And then this very human thing happens. It's sort of Jesus' fault, too. If you remember, he took Peter, James, and John up the mountain, but he left the other nine and the support staff down below. And so the next episode that we get after the transfiguration is Jesus following a group of disciples and in my imagination, the conversation is happening in hushed tones. He's following his group of disciples, and he overhears them in a conversation talking about who is the best disciple. Isn't that awesome? 
So it's sort of Jesus' fault. He creates this inner circle of the inner circle. He takes these guys up. Jesus breaks into the conversation. And for the first time, he turns things upside down. We hear it at the end of this passage that we have for this morning, echoed again. But he's like, no, 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 no. This is not how it works in the kingdom of heaven. It's not about who's on top. You see, each of us have probably in our lifetime at one point or another grappled with this very human question, who's the best? You know, maybe you are like, well, I'm not going to run for president, but I'll run for vice president. Those kind of human strategic decisions that we make as we as individuals measure ourselves over and against our family, our friends, our colleagues, and sometimes strangers. Jesus' response to that is, there is no best or worst. The first will be last and the last will be first calling us to imagine a way of living that is not plagued by competition, success, and achievement, which is hard for people like me. Maybe you too. And then there's this next beat that's absolutely magnificent. Jesus and his disciples are moving from one place to another. The disciples roll into this town where they encounter people doing what Jesus and his disciples have been doing all throughout the region. As the disciples come into town, they find faithful, loving people healing the sick and casting out demons in Jesus' name. And what do they do? They're like, no, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pump the brakes. You're not authorized. You are not authorized to do this work. So they come back to Jesus on this tattletale mission. Master, you're never going to believe what we saw when we rolled into this town. People were doing your work. People who were not authorized, not certified, hadn't graduated from the Jesus Discipleship Graduate School yet. And so we told them to stop. And Jesus is like, come on, guys. Anything that's done in my name, done in the name of love, is authorized. You needn't have the diploma, the certificate, the trademark, the copyright. That's not the point. Love is the point. You see, he's addressing this very human question that all of us have confronted at one point in our lives. That question is, who's in and who's out? Because that's how we as humans, maybe fallen, broken humans, make sense of the world. Who's the best? Who's in and who's out? And this is 
at the moment where Jesus begins to use this metaphor of children. Let the little children come to me. It is these that understand the kingdom of heaven. It is these little ones that know how to live in the kingdom that I seek to embody, that I'm trying to teach you to live in. And then we hear this echo of that again this morning, right? And then before we have the the story that we have this morning, there's this one more beat in the serial that's important to address. And it's it's the gospel that came last week, but you missed it if you were here with your dog or your cat or your bird or your reptile. The religious authority comes to Jesus as he and his disciples move into town. And we have to be careful with this one. We have to be really careful with this one. Jesus and his disciples come into town and the religious authority come to him to test him. Good teacher. You know, Moses says it's okay for a man to divorce his wife. What say you? And Jesus is very careful in his response. And, you know, this is one of those points where I would say, say that phrase like, don't hear what I'm not saying. What we should know is this is a long story. And this particular episode of the story is not about whether or not we, we can be divorced as human beings here in 2021 in Jackson or, or anywhere else for that matter. The point that Jesus is trying to make in turning upside down the kingdom is, is that the life that we are intended to live, the God love life as I like to call it, or if we are living out of our belovedness, the primary trajectory of our lives The work that we have to do as people of faith is to live in love and to seek to embody it at its highest level. So if you, religious authority, are coming to me and asking me about rules, here's this other human question that pops up here again. Are we as human beings, when we are living our best and highest life, Are we rule-bound? And Jesus, in fact, is challenging rule-bound thinking people here. He's saying, if you can't be both rule-bound and loving, then you don't get it. You don't understand the kingdom that I'm trying to inhabit. It's not that he is throwing out the rules It's that he is reminding us that the epicenter, the root of all of the rules that God gives to God's people are meant to support loving life. Why? Don't don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Why? Because bearing false witness is wrong. No. Because it's not loving to mislead people. We tell them the truth because it's the loving thing to do. 
that's the last episode before we attach ourselves to this story that Mark's Jesus gives us this morning, the story that's known across biblical commentary circles as the story of the rich young ruler. Though Mark's Jesus doesn't uh, define him as young, other Luke's gospel does. Calls him the rich young ruler. What we should hear is that Jesus is engaging here maybe a trust fund kid, but one who is quite successful. And we're meant to hear some humor here that we kind of miss. And so, I, you know, it's, it's terrible to explain a joke, but I'm going to explain it to you anyway. So Mark's Jesus opens the story, or Mark, the gospeler, opens the story with, as he was preparing to go on a journey, a, a, a man, a wealthy man, came to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The humor that we're supposed to hear is just as Jesus picks up his roller bag and puts it in the back of the Uber on the way to the airport, someone comes to him and says, hey, I know you're trying to get to the airport, but what is the good life? Explain it to me. How does humanity in this moment, right before you catch your flight, how does humanity live their best life? And Jesus' response is like, you've, like, you've got to be kidding. I've been here for four days, and now you come and say this. Who are you calling good? There's a little funny exchange between those two, right? Who are you calling good? Only God is good. And then they get to the meat of that question again, right? Like, are you going to live that rule-bound life? Is that the key to living? Who's the best? Who's in and who's out? Are we meant to live a rule-bound life? And this successful, wealthy, young guy says like, I do it, man. I do it every day. Are you kidding me? I have not broken one single rule. And we have to step back from that, right, and say, like, wait, what's going on here? There's some hyperbole here, right? Because no one does it 100%. We're meant to hear it that way. We're meant to hear some humor there of, like, something different is happening. Jesus is turning our world upside down. And then there's this wonderful, wonderful exchange between Jesus and this young man. And it, you know, because many Episcopalians come from, from wealthy backgrounds, it rattles the Episcopal church's cage every time it comes up. He tells this man, he tells this man who has everything that you are missing one thing. There's only one thing that you don't have. And this guy is like, tell me, master, I'm listening. I've had so much success. I never break a rule. I've become quite wealthy. I am ready. Give it to me. And he says, go and sell all that you have and come 
and follow me. And this guy is like, what? Don't you see, Jesus, that I've done everything I'm supposed to do up to this point in time? Don't you see that I have had great success in my life by applying myself earnestly to the hard work that is borne out in the scriptures, in the sacred story, that I've followed all the rules? And Jesus is like, no, man. If you can't follow the rules without your heart, then you ain't doing it. And success and accomplishment and achievement is getting in the way of you accessing life with your heart. My brother, I see that you have done a good job living with your head, but I am inviting you to live from your heart. He doesn't get it, right? He turns and he walks away and the story says he walks away grieved. He's sad, he's confused, and he doesn't quite understand. And I'm sure in the moment where us human disciples are ready to pile on and say like, yeah, man, go and do what Jesus says. There's this beautiful line that we might miss. It says he walks away grieved. And in that moment, Jesus loves him. He loves him in a moment where he knows he's not yet going to be able to live the softest, most loving life that God is calling him to live. So I pause and I take that deep breath and I'm asking myself and I'm asking us, what are we meant to walk away with in these serial teachings of Mark's Jesus where we're being asked these very human questions? Who's the best? Who's in and who's out? Are we meant to live a rule-bound life? What do rules and heart have to do with one another? What are, what's meant to land in our lives here today, this morning, Jackson, 2021? Well, I know it'll come as no surprise to you when I say this, but we're meant to attach ourselves to our own belovedness, our own God-given belovedness. Jimmy, how do you make that leap? You hear at the end of Mark's Jesus' lesson, he's clear. He's saying, this is not about you and what you can do and what you can achieve. This is about what God has done. 
And what God has done in creation is put God's loving thumbprints all over every big and little thing, whether it's the Tetons or whether it's little old you and me. The work has already been done. The practice that we have in this work is to orient ourselves to a new reality. All throughout this serial, Jesus is referencing children intermittently. Bear them up. Bring them to me. Unless you can see the world like one of these little ones, you won't have access to it. Pay attention to these little kids. And then in this passage, he calls those who are listening. He calls those students, not disciples, but children. What I take away from this is when I begin to live in that more human place and I begin to try to take measure of my success or try to see how I match up one against another, try to stick to rules that will lead to accomplishment, that will lead to glory for my own life. When I become untethered from the kingdom of heaven and retethered to the kingdom of the world and that life of accomplishment, there's one thing that can bring me back. And that's re-engaging those little ones, right? There's one real reminder of what reconnects us to the kingdom of heaven. Living from that playful, open, loving place from which children live. Amen.